The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good morning. Um, welcome to our second Paramis class. Anybody here who wasn't here last week? Okay, yeah, quite a few. All right. So uh, the paramis are these ten wonderful qualities of character, you could say, that they both support our practice and they're deep fruits of our practice. So the legendary source of these qualities is that uh, the Buddha practiced these qualities in all the many lifetimes he went through before the lifetime when he was born as Siddhartha and Gautama and became the Buddha. So these are the qualities that he developed. And then many years after he died, people, apparently that people were still getting enlightened, but people felt like, well, they're great, but they're not the Buddha. And so they went and looking at what are these qualities that we so idealize, and then they made, this started the whole bodhisattva movement of, you know, to become a Buddha is to develop these qualities and became into the other, the Mahayana tradition of Buddhism. But they're also in our Theravadan tradition, these ten, these ten beautiful qualities. And I remember one time uh, Upandita, who was a famous uh, Burmese teacher, said that, you know, if you're feeling stuck in your practice or you're feeling like you're not motivated or somehow you, you're not, you're not, getting what you want out of it, look to the paramis and see if you can cultivate the paramis some more and then come back and do more retreat practice or something. So they, they fit into the practice in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and they're just lovely, beautiful qualities, universal ideals of what people would like to have more of. So we're on our second week, which is the parami of sila, which is a word that's translated as virtue, morality, ethics, it's also a factor very much related to the factor of wise action on the Eightfold Path. So we'll talk about that today. <clears throat> and I thought maybe we'll just sit for a couple minutes just to settle, let a few more people come in. We'll have a longer guided sit later. But <clears throat> just, just a very short little settling in here. Just a silent settling
Okay, so we'd like to begin today, similarly to how we began last time. I don't know that we'll do this every time, but it seemed like it might be interesting again. So uh, we'll get in triads. And I just want to remind you a couple things about the way we do these small breakout groups here. The idea is really to stay connected with yourself in a reflective way. You don't have to share anything you don't want to share. You don't have to, silence is okay if you need to think a little about what you want to say. And the idea is that it's not really a social conversation. So we're not having any crosstalk. You're not trying to give each other advice or comment on whether you have me too or, you know, oh, I, I, I had something like that. We're not, we're not talking in that way. We're giving each person a chance to really listen to themselves, say what they might want to try to articulate. You know, a little bit regardless of how, how, whether other people get it or not, you know. So, so hold it in that way. And when you're not speaking, your role is just to listen deeply and, and take in what's said and not respond. And then when it's your turn to speak, you can speak. Okay? So it's a particular exercise in a particular way of speaking that we do here. So we'll start again with, like we did last time with a little bit of a retrospective question. So the question will be, what were some of the formative influences in your life that shaped your relationship to morality? Okay, so it might be, you know, parents, school, church, reading, current events, you know, something that happened. Any, any, just what, what kind of brought this idea into your mind or what shaped how you think about ethics, virtue, morality in your early life. And it's just kind of to give you a chance to look back and see what is your relationship to this quality. It's, it's kind of, it can be a kind of fraught thing for some people who were maybe over-instructed and maybe some people who were never instructed. <laughs> so it's interesting to look back and see, uh, see where, how you are with this. So what we'll do is we'll get in groups of three and we'll just spend about four minutes apiece and I'll ring the bell in between. Okay, yeah? Virtue. These are all just attempts to translate this word sila into English. It has to do with, uh, you know, not harming and being, being kind and not being greedy and it's, you know... Don't kill, don't steal, those kinds of things. <laughs> so we'll talk much more about what this means, but maybe we have a... It's not working? Oh, yeah, we do have hearing-assisted devices that work pretty well, if you want one. Yeah, thank you. And also, um, I want to remind you that we are recording the day, so comments that you make in the group will be recorded because there are a lot of people who are taking the course in a kind of off and on fashion and want to listen to the recording of the day. So, No, we won't be recording in the breakout groups, but anything that you say into the microphone will be recorded. Any questions before we get started on this? Okay, so just, just... you know, turn to someone near you and form groups of three. And it's okay to have a group of four if need be, or a group of two if you're comfortable with that, if the numbers aren't even.
I realized that my parents who grew up uh, and had me in 1950 had a different set of morals and when the 60s came along it just kind of tore everything up that they had learned and uh, there was a and questions were finally allowed you know because there weren't a lot of questions allowed earlier on so I, I found I, that just occurred to me thank you mm-hmm. thank you I just kind of I'll talk like um, first uh, I got I got upset in the group you know just even talking about this stuff like I really wanted to know like you know what what is morality what are ethics you know mm-hmm. like and uh, I just found myself really uncomfortable with that and the thing that I appreciate about coming here is when you talk about and it makes me want to cry you know what were the influences what were your what were you, you know that that hel- is very helpful to mm-hmm. go back to follow the breadcrumbs back to yeah. these family of origin teachings you know so i'm that ought to tell you something that i don't even know what in the hell you're talking about when you're yeah. talking about morality and uh ethics and like what mm-hmm. you know what is that and so i guess i feel sadness right now you know, and I did learn some good stuff, but um, it's un- I'm uncomfortable sitting here. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe next month will be a better topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, there, thank you. There are a lo- so many ways of approaching this topic, you know, and, and the, I, I don't, we can't begin really to do it justice in one half day here. So, you know, I hope we can convey a f- some flavor of how Buddhism thinks about this, you know, and uh, it's not also just overt, overt teachings, you know, I, you know, most of you probably have, I'm guessing, and I might be wrong, but most of you probably have not done a whole lot of killing, maybe people who were in the army or something may have, you know, so it's, it's complex, but there may be some way that you picked up, you know, some notions of how to how to be in society that weren't explicitly taught, you know, or how being like you would like other people to be, you know. So there's a whole. It's interesting to think back on what, how really what formed you in this way. So we're going to have a little sit now, a little bit longer sit. So. Um, one of the main teachings that Jennifer is going to be talking about after this is there are the five precepts in Buddhism, which Jennifer will talk more about, but they are essentially not killing, not stealing, not harming with sexuality, not lying, and not intoxicating yourself so that you're more likely to do all those other things. Okay? So what I want to do in this guided meditation is just bring up what it feels like inside to have op- to really be cultivating the opposite co- I mean the wholesome qualities that support our inner lack of interest in doing those things. Okay? So what we can do is 
is know that that's what we're doing in our meditation here. So we're cultivating certain qualities. So let's, first of all, let's just come into presence of being here, being aware. When we're in the present time, the here and now, we know where we are, we know what we're doing. There's this clarity. As we settle, we can get a bigger picture of what we might be about to do. And we can have a little space for wisdom to come in and inform what we do. So right now we just settle take some deep breaths this is a very kind thing to do for ourselves it's kindness to those parts of us that need healing and holding and just a simple being for a while so just bringing up that quality of kindness Sometimes you can feel it in your hands as your hands are resting on your lap, like they're touching a baby or a kitten or another kind of pet, something that you really, you're just expressing that warmth of contact with your hand in your lap. Wishing well for yourself. May I be safe. Everyone wants to be safe. May I be safe from harm. Inner or outer harm. Sensing how much that's what we really like to feel is safe, protected from harm. Getting in touch with some of our deep needs in this matter, in these areas. Knowing that right now in meditation we're just sitting here exploring what we truly need. Not so much the things of the world. Not to jump up and go shopping right now. Maybe we begin to feel a sort of contentment as we sit here. Nothing to do. Nobody to be specially. Nobody to impress. Nobody to obey. You can just feel content sitting here. Kindness, contentment.
And as we settle, just feeling the contact of the bodies with the seat, the floor, feeling that support of the earth. We just let ourselves settle into a deep kind of inner stillness. Like relaxing all the little fists that are clenched in our bodies. Letting go of the muscle of the mind, letting ourselves, it's like letting the muscles fall away from the bones. It's letting our, our solid bones support us. a deep stillness in the core. We have kindness and contentment and a very settled sort of stillness. Stillness of non-doing. We're just aware of what's happening, what it feels like to be sitting here, but we don't have to do anything right now. Just letting your chest area settle. Come to rest on the support of the diaphragm and middle body. Letting your lower core just settle, your belly, your hips settle onto the support of the chair. Letting your legs and feet settle into the support of the floor. Letting your mind, your heart, just appreciate how settling feels. Contentment. Kindness. As we sit like this, there can come to feel a kind of centeredness, a kind of 
straightening out of relaxing all the ways in which we're sort of twisted up and tense and full of contradictions and we can just tune into the simple truth of this is how it is right now even if there is a feeling of twistedness or twisting physically or mentally or complexity or confusion, contradiction those can just be okay those can just be known right now and slowly in this attitude of kindness and contentment and settling those can begin to relax resolve settle it begins to be more clear what is the truth of this moment not in words but just in the direct felt experience of right now it's like this Maybe we sense that this is what we've wanted. We've wanted time and space to just feel into how is it really? How is it really with me right now? What are some of these forces that want to rise up? And can we see them? Can we let them be understood? Let them be felt? not repressing anything we're not acting out anything we're just seeing what's going on in here seeing the truth everything that's going on within us is due to many conditions going back many many eons our lives, our parents' lives, our society's lives, the lives of our planet, everything. So we can just watch and let it settle, get to know what's going on within. Seeing the truth. Truth doesn't really come in words as much as it comes in just a deeper knowing that this is what it feels like right now. This is how it is. And it's changing. It's evolving, sorting itself out. can appreciate the clarity that's possible as we sit as we let things settle we can see that maybe we would like to have clarity even if these beautiful qualities are not available right now 
Maybe you can sense that within you that would like to cultivate these qualities of kindness, contentment, settledness, inner stillness, inner peace, truthfulness, clarity. And it's beautiful to realize that we don't have to do so much to make these things happen. We just settle and get out of our way and stay simple, open to letting what's going on be known and felt and seen, trusted that it's due to lawful unfolding of conditions, and also that we have some space around it where wisdom can come in so we don't need to act on all these impulses but we can see them for what they are. Might seem sometimes like sitting on top of a high hill overlooking the surrounding landscape and you can see what's coming, you can see what's rising up And you have your memory, you can see where it goes to act on those impulses, maybe not so good, some of them. You can begin to see what's wholesome, what's not wholesome, what's skillful, what's, what's a skillful way to work with difficult feelings that rise up. More space, more understanding, more self-compassion, more acceptance that this is the human condition. How can we be kinder to ourselves more content with what we have and with this opportunity to work with what really matters. More settled and still. More truthful. More allowing truth to reveal itself. We don't have to go in there with our ideas and our little jackhammers and rip everything up. We just let, we just settle and let the truth bubble up and reveal itself and open. And it's much more like a flower blooming slowly in the sun of our awareness. And the clarity of the ability to just know what's happening and see a little more broadly, expand our horizon into ourself and into our world a little more. Let it expand as we relax, it will expand.
Settling into a deep sense of safety and trust of clear seeing. A clear intention not to harm ourselves. And as we get settled in this way, sometimes we can see how incompatible with this settling would be any impulse to strike out and hurt something or to grab something and that wasn't yours. To be sort of out of control with our sexual energies to the point where we harm someone. making up something lying. It's really the opposite direction of this slow opening to the truth. How valuable it is to have a clearing mind, a mind that's heading toward clarity. It's finding, learning other ways to soothe itself, other ways to feel good besides ways that compromise clarity. So there's really comes to be seen that there's not a conflict between what we wish well for ourselves, kindness toward ourselves, contentment, settledness. And the energy that it takes for us to offer this to other people, truth, clarity. These energies feel good to us and when we put them out in the world, they're good for the world.
So this is such a beautiful space in which to talk about the precepts, what we call the tr- the precepts. Just want to make sure you can all hear me. Can you all hear me? Okay. So as Chris was doing the guided meditation, I was feeling in my body the relaxation and the opening. And it's from this place that we do want to benefit others. We don't want to do harm to ourselves or to anyone else. So if you don't remember anything from our morning together, I think remembering the spirit of this morning is about non-harming. Non-harming. So the Buddha talked about these precepts in, in various ways. And for those of you who may be just coming in, the precepts being refraining from killing, from taking what's not given, from misusing our sexuality, from lying, and from using intoxicants that can cloud our, our mind. And the first way I want to talk about that the Buddha referred to these precepts is as gifts. And I love this because what are we giving? We're giving the gift of safety. We're saying, I care about you. And I care about me. And I'm not going to harm you. And I'm not going to harm me. And it is even more important than ever in the world that we live in right now that that is a gift. That is such a gift. So feeling that in the body as what Thich Nhat Hanh says and as Chris alluded to, as we move into the direction of non-harming. There's no perfection about this. We move in the direction of non-harming. So in that spirit, the, the Buddha also talked about these precepts as trainings. And I myself really like this word, trainings, practices, because it means that we get to start over again and again, just like when we're meditating and the mind wanders off. And then we say, whoops, I strayed. That's okay. So the same thing. These precepts are a training. And sometimes we're going to stray, and that's okay. We just come back to center. And this um, image I have, that, because I like to use playful images with precepts and trainings, the training guidelines, is the training wheels that I know I had when I was younger on my bike, right? And so if I start going too far off in the right or too far off in the left, we have these training wheels that bring us back to the middle way, to balance. So that's the spirit in which these, these training guidelines, these precepts are offered. 
Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about them as medicine uh, because these are not describing what's good and bad behaviors, like commandments, for example, but they're describing behavior that can lead to suffering. Some behaviors lead towards suffering, and some behaviors lead towards peace. So if we are acting out in ways that are going to cause us suffering or others, we have our medicine. We have our medicine. So the medicine is the precepts. Oh, yeah, here's some guidelines I remember. Gil talks about the precepts um, in two other ways that I really appreciate. One is a mirror, right? So we learn about ourselves. Oh, that's what I'm doing. The mirror has equanimity. It's just reflecting, no judgment, just reflecting. And the other way he talks about the precepts are his teachers. And I love this too. So, oh, I'm... I'm acting in this way. This is a habitual behavior that I have, that I'm going in a direction I don't want to go. Oh, you know, these are some tendencies that I have. So it's beautiful. They're they're teachers, mirrors, medicine, gifts. So our modern-day version of precepts, I love that we have all sorts of, you know, ways that... Um, languaging and precepts versions that we can relate to. Because we each, I know for me anyway, I find precepts and language that speak to me, that inspire me. And so I'm going to share a couple of those with you and encouraging you to, to see what language inspires you, to see what versions inspire you. So three of my favorites. Um, One is the San Francisco Zen Center online. You can all find this online. Has um, precepts that they call essential precepts. And their precepts are very important. They all live in community. So this is how do we all live in harmony. Um, So I appreciate their precepts because they talk about how the precepts and training guidelines affect the individual and how they impact the community as a whole. So I love this. So the importance of sangha. The importance of sangha in practicing and supporting our practice of these. Bernie Glassman also has, um, he's no longer alive, but um, when he was, he had put together something called Practices of a Zen Peacemaker. And this man was dedicated his life towards bringing more peace and healing in the world in amazing ways. You could check out his website. And one of the things that he did is he felt that people were more prone to breaking these training guidelines and training precepts if they didn't have money, if they were homeless, if they didn't have a place to live, and they had no food. So he started a whole organization beautiful company that made bread and he hired homeless people and he trained them and he built shelter and he gave them food and he talked about the precepts and this is how this is how we are in community this is how you don't do harm to yourself and others is very inspiring and i'll just read you two just to give you a sense of his languaging two precepts regarding right speech 
Peacemakers throughout all space and time realize loving kindness. This is a practice of not taking, not talking about others' errors and faults, accepting what each moment offers. I realize that I am not separate from any aspect of life. And the second one, peacemakers throughout all space and time realize equanimity. This is the practice of not elevating oneself and blaming others. I will not blame, judge, or criticize others, nor compete with others or covet recognition. In this way, I practice inclusiveness. And I love that word, inclusiveness. And then there's Thich Nhat Hanh. And if his precepts are so beautiful and so deep <laughs> that I highly encourage you to look them up. Firstly, he talks about these training guidelines. Um, he, he calls them the five wonderful precepts. That's so him, right? The spirit of wonderful, very much in the spirit of the Buddha gifts. And he says that we need, it's, he encourages people to not just practice precepts and these trainings, but also to study, right? And that's what we're all doing here this morning. So there's study. So we better understand the view. What's the perspective? How can we understand these precepts in a way that we can practice them with skill and ease? So study enhances our practice, and our practice enhances our study. So that's why I love classes like these. So he encourages people to both study and practice. Um, And he says these are really difficult, and I love that. Because some people see the precepts and they say, oh yeah, no brainer, I don't kill, I don't steal. But he says, oh, if you see really, really deeply, and he calls mindfulness the foundational precept, if you see really deeply, you will see these are really difficult practices. So I will give you an example, and um, it's quite something. So he says, When we look at a glass of whiskey with mindfulness, concentration and understanding will come. We will see the roots of the whiskey. A lot of grain is used to produce meat and alcohol. If we look more deeply at the glass of whiskey, we will see that many people in the world starve because they do not have enough grain to eat. When we see that, we will stop drinking whiskey. Now that is such a beautiful view instead of don't drink, right? This is like, oh. Now, it's not easy. Just in, in, he gives so many more examples that really how so many things that we do impact others and vice versa, the interdependence of us all. But I really appreciate that he says we do our best. He talks about just go north. You know, like go towards the North Star. Just go north in that direction. We don't expect we're going to actually touch the North Star, but just go in that direction. And that brought me some ease. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right, this big spectrum of you know, anywhere from zero to 100, like, oh, just, just go towards this direction of not suffering and more peace. 
And lastly, he reiterates how important Sangha is to being able to support each other in these trainings. So how do we remember to practice these in daily life? And I think what I really love is that um, Sylvia talks about how she recites these precepts every day and how she hopes that her voice is going to catch up with her throughout the day, and it does, because I practice that. So it's a wonderful practice just to say them out loud every day and then see what happens, right? I have them also taped on my mirror. She has them taped on her computer, so that's another way that's helpful. But I'm going to tell you um, also about a weekly ritual that you might find useful that um, Thich Nhat Hanh brings in, which I, I find, again, you know, opening. So he says, you say the first precept, say whatever the precept that you're on, You say, this is the first of the five precepts. And you ask yourself a question. Have I made effort to study and to practice this precept this week? And you don't answer the question. You just let it flow in the air, in your body. And he says, and no that you have done enough. You have made effort. So just know you've done enough, but you're asking yourself, so you're bringing it up into your mind. And then the last step, he says, is to breathe deeply three times. So I really love this practice. Um, Joseph Goldstein has a beautiful line about these precepts saying, you know, it's not about self-judgment. It's about the interest in seeing, right? That's what our meditation is. Interest in seeing clearly. So the interest in becoming aware and seeing that we can make choices. We can make choices. And this is a very important point. There are brainstorming about alternatives, alternative choices, to acting in ways that aren't skillful. And I'll just give you a brief example. Very simple, but it happened to me this week. I had said the precepts, and I was in Whole Foods, and I was buying some grapes that I was going to, I was going to buy grapes that I was bringing here. I ended up getting the grapes elsewhere. But I very automatically, this is where the habitual tendency comes in. You know, I have a habit of tasting a grape, before I buy a batch because I'm thinking, well, if I'm buying two pounds, I want to know if these are any good. And I went to grab it and I thought, oh, this is not freely given. (laughs) This was a huge aha. And this is how I think that Sylvia's practice of saying it out loud and let the voice catch up with you. I wasn't thinking about the precepts. It just occurred. And so the alternative is, to just go ask the person at Whole Foods. You know, a lot of people work there. Oh, I'm going to taste a grape because I want, you know, they don't care, but they probably look at us like everyone does that. But then it's not, then it's freely given, right? And so then I can feel good about it. So knowing what all our alternatives are is really important. 
So in closing, you know, and as Chris said, you know, we can't, um, there's so much rich material in these beautiful training precepts, these wonderful training precepts, these gifts. Um, But the foundational teaching and the spirit of them is non-harming, kindness, skillfulness, seeing clearly, medicine, mirrors, teachers, And I'll close with gratitude for Sangha, which is so important in being able to practice these training guidelines as well as everything else that we teach here. Sangha, supporting, learning from each other, and learning from ourselves as we're with others. So now, as you may be guessing, we are going to have a breakout group. And um, the offering is to, and it is an offering, by the way, so if people don't feel comfortable in breakout groups or they just need some silence, this is all fine, right? This is taking care of yourselves, not harming yourself is important. So the question for the breakout group is we're talking about wise speech, skillful speech, non-harming speech, and that non-violent communications course. And I have um, a question. And if for some reason the first question doesn't resonate for you for whatever reason because you can't think of a person, you can do the second question. And I have copies of this, so you don't need. You can write it down. But I'm going to give each group a copy of what I'm about to just say. Okay. Think of a person whom you admire because they are skillful when speaking, relative to refraining from false and divisive speech. And maybe talk about a time that you observed this person and why it was that you admire them and why it was that that inspired you. And then notice as you're talking about that person, how does it feel in your body as you're talking about this person that you admire that they have skillful speech? And um, I do on the paper define false speech and divisive speech, but in particular, divisive speech is really gossiping, talking about other people in ways that's harmful. If for some reason you cannot think of a person that you admire, um, then you can talk about, you know, or if you just prefer the second question, you can talk about a time in which you you yourself refrained from speaking unskillfully relative to false and divisive speech, even though it might have been difficult to do so. Okay? And I know, I'm pretty sure that every one of you in your lifetime has had a a moment where you spoke skillfully, so we all have those. So it's 10.36, and we take a break at 10.55. So... um, Go ahead and get into groups of three or four. And let's just do this just 
go around as many times as as you your group is able to talking about this you know maybe saying a few things and then let it going let it go around the circle and um i will ring the bell a couple minutes before our break all right if you want to choose other people in your groups that's great um, so go ahead and get in your groups and I'll pass around. And it was nice to be able to articulate it, which was the current level of discourse in our public sphere with our leaders and the amount of unskillful speech they practice. And last year I was in the 10 hour uh, eightfold path and taking the whole course on you know, right speech and really paying attention to that. The ju- and coming to realize the juxtaposition between that and maybe the Obama presidency and how skillful he did speak and how good it felt when he did speak to our best natures and encourage harmony. And now with the level of discourse and how grating it can be, it was nice to look at that today and really pay that some attention. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, thank you. We heard some great chatting going on. <laughs> so the I rambled on about this and that and then the last thing I said was I find myself participating occasionally in gossip and then don't know how to get out of it and and see that it comes from an inability to soothe my own insecurities, you know, my own fears. And and that kind of, I said it, and then I, someone said it back and I heard it, you know. Mm. So I feel like um, meditation does that for me. It helps. Thanks. I love that example because there again is Sangha. Right, you heard it from someone else, and then it the the teaching gets embodied when we can hear it from ourselves and others. Anyone else? I think part of speech uh, when many major religions were started the people practicing the religions didn't read or write it's true and I think the teachings are the same but the way that certain sides are amplified and moved around is is different because our culture is different and um, you know we read and then even now you read t-shirts and there's more than when I was a kid there's more words out there you know bumper stickers, all stuff. Um, I also think about uh, speech in politics. I I did put something on Facebook. It was based on the Dhammapada. That is that um, uh, what you think uh, later turns into your your experience, like an ox is leading a cart. And... uh, I feel right now, I, I'm surprised there's not more, I feel our country is very divided, and I'm surprised there's not more violence. Mm. 
I mean, I'm surprised, you know, the number of us have survived during this time. You know, it feels very close to a divisive violence. And what I wrote was about the Dhammapada and that um, I was into ardent, I'm an ardent supporter of freedom of speech. And uh, I think people should say what they think and criticize people. But uh, to get into needlessly insulting people is raising the temperature and it's more dangerous. And thank you so much for that comment. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'll just take this last moment to um, say that your comment is also something that um, in Thich Nhat Hanh's first wonderful precept, he says, do not kill, do not harm, do not let others kill, do not let others harm find whatever means possible to protect life. So that's an even sort of higher level that, of course, Thich Nhat Hanh was an activist and he definitely spoke out about wars and so on. So thank you for that comment so much. And um, we are going to take a break and come back here at um, 11.05. So we'll take about about a 10 minute break Thank you. 
Well, welcome back. <clears throat> so I was at the hospital, I'm a volunteer chaplain at Peninsula Hospital. And I was there last week. And I met a man, when I walked into the room, uh, there was a man sitting on the edge of his bed, kind of doubled over like this. And I was hesitant to walk in. He was clearly struggling. And often when people are struggling, they don't necessarily want to talk with a chaplain. But I did, I ventured in, and he saw me and he said, Please come in. He was very friendly. Take a seat. Have a seat. So I did. And he was just really struggling to catch his breath. But um, I asked him how he was. And he told me that he had um, emphysema. And he was going to go on hospice when he goes home. And in addition to emphysema, he had COPD. And he had colon cancer and some other kind of cancer, I forget. And he was 61. So I asked him, how are you doing with all of this? You know, I, I, I was, he'd really gotten my attention. And uh, he said, oh, pretty well. Yeah, doing pretty well. And, and uh, whenever I've seen a situation where someone's trying to catch their breath, there's always panic that goes alongside that. So I, was very, I felt very straightforward with this man. He was, he was quite open and friendly. Beautiful blue eyes. Um, I said, do you have panic? And he looked at kind of surprised and he said, no. Kind of a foreign thought for him. And I asked him what I thought was a silly question, but I, I still felt like asking him. I said, are you suffering? And he said, no. And I'm just wondering, what is this man? Where is he coming from? What's giving him his strength? So we talked about his family. He was divorced, so he wasn't getting strength from that relationship. He wasn't religious. I asked him if he prayed, and he said, well, sometimes maybe, but not a big deal. And um, I just asked him, where do you get your strength? And he was a little confused by the question and thinking about it. And I said, well, I suppose my parents, um, my parents, they were, they had a lot of integrity. So that struck a bell with me. He gets his strength from his morality. 
He gets his strength from this integrity that's been so built into his system. that he is at peace. He's content. He's going to leave the hospital. He's going to go home. He's going to deal with his situation. And he's going to die. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. Just very straightforward I've seen other people like that. I had a good friend. Such a strong moral fiber. Just so blessed with this strong moral fiber. And she was a happy person. When I was at the Zen Center many, many years ago, I was uh, studying rules for monks hundreds of rules for monks in this huge tome called the Abhidhamma. And we got to one section and I was so grateful and th- to hear about there are these two qualities of heart that are the foundation for all the precepts, for all ethics, for all morality. Two, that's nice, simple. This is something that I can approach and and try to embody in some way. And these two are called Hiri and Otapa. Hiri, um, and they both have unfortunate translations. Uh, Hiri is translated often as a sense of shame or conscience. Like, I would be ashamed of myself to do that. And otapa is translated often as a dread of being blamed by the community, the teacher, the teacher wouldn't like it if I did that, something like that. And I call it unfortunate because I mean, these, these can be, you know, very apt and useful for um, Southeast Asian, Asian cultures that don't really have the kind of Western guilt that, is in, that, is, that comes from our Judeo-Christian materialistic um, values. They just don't have guilt. They haven't heard of it. They've got a lot of other things but they don't have all this self-judgment, self-criticism, self-hatred, guilt, all this stuff that ravages our heart's comparative thinking. They know their place. They're happy with their place. But in studying this, uh, other, other ideas have been presented that I think are very useful. So Hiri is this inner sense, conscience, but not fear, not this shameful kind of conscience, but this 
this inner goodness, this resource of our inner goodness, our honor, our dignity, our self-respect, what's good for me, conscience. This is, this is what's good for me. Um, these, these two qualities have been called the two winged guardians of the world. Two winged guardians of the world. So I think of these gigantic, you know, cosmic wings that are spread out, you know, and, and, and then with, with Hiri that they, you know, they surround me and hold me, you know, with this broad cosmic, what's good for me? What really makes me feel dignified, honorable, self-respect. And with Hiri, it's like when uh, Jennifer dedicates merit. It's like opening those wings to the world and and turning this this inner sense, this mindfulness of, of my own goodness outward to the world in, with empathy. So there's empathy for myself with Hiri. As Chris so beautifully described, this inner sense of relaxing into one's own goodness, one's own peace, one's own harmony, allowing our inner empathy to release and settle our body around our own goodness. In the Mahayana tradition, that's Zen, um, there's a, um, a very strong fundamental belief in Buddha nature that we are essentially Buddha. You're Buddha, I'm Buddha, we're all Buddha nature. We're all um, radiant, illuminated, pure hearts. So I like that. I think that's there. That's there in all of us. There's a lot of other stuff in all of us, right? There's anger and jealousy and greed and lust and blaming and vengefulness and But when we sense you know when we have a strong sense like my my friend at the hospital what's good for me? we can begin to relax those tendencies, those impulses, and come back to this, this inner sense. In our tradition, we believe more in, uh, or the teaching is more about this, this stream, this stream of being, that we're a stream 
and it's a stream of goodness. And this, as this, you know, we relax and we enter into this stream and we're feeling kind of, you know, peaceful and contented, here, present, embodied in our awareness, empathetic, clear in mind. And the stream continues. And then the stream has a problem. (laughs) It hits a rock. Or the stream hits an eddy. You know, eddies in, in the river, eddies turn back. If you get caught in an eddy, you might go backwards for miles before you can get out of that eddy. Or there are cross currents where you just can't move. Or you just hit a boulder. So we have to kind of get back on track, get back in the stream, you know, really row, row hard. get back to our purity to get back to the flow of the to the flow of the stream of our being and we can work on this and work on this and it is such worthwhile work the more we can peel away the layers of our hindrances, of our obstacles, of our eddies, and keep ourselves on track. You know, the longer I practice, the more I have such deep regard for morality. Not only as the beginning to practice, but as the middle of practice and as the end of practice. It's allowing us to be in the stream. It allows our minds to clear and our hearts to clear. And it allows us to be happy and peaceful. There's other work to be done with concentration and wisdom but it's always there to help us along our way. There's this beautiful um, poem by Plotinus about refining virtue in ourselves. Go back inside yourself and look. If you do not see yourself as beautiful then do as the sculptor does with a statue he wants to make beautiful. He chisels away one part and levels off another, makes one spot smooth and another clear, until he shows forth a beautiful face on the statue. Like him, remove what is superfluous, straighten what is crooked, clean up what is dark, and make it bright. And never stop sculpting your own statue until the godlike splendor of virtue shines forth to you. If you have become this and seen it and become pure and alone with yourself, with nothing now preventing you from becoming one in this way 
and have nothing extraneous mixed with yourself. If you see that this is what you have become, then you have become a vision. Just look, checking my time here. So we're a work in progress. Sometimes we're accessing what's beautiful within ourselves and we're not bothered too much and we're peaceful and there aren't too many problems presenting themselves. And then problems come and is this really what I want? Is this good for me? Is this noble of me? Is the way I'm speaking, the way I'm thinking, the way I'm acting honorable to myself? Is it honoring me? And then turning this mindfulness inside out. and seeing other people, seeing the world with this same kind of vision, seeing the other with empathy, with clarity. And by being pure in ourselves and seeing the other with this kind of purity, it allows, it allows the other to relax. I'm safe with this person. I can unfurl with this person. I can let go of defensiveness and comparative thinking and fear and anxiety with this person. Hiri and Otapa to guardians of the world, guardians of ourselves, guardians of others. There's so much goodness here. You know, Mr. Roberts, the um, children's TV host for a children's TV program. Probably most of you have heard about him. He's a great, amazing, amazing being. Well, his mother was equally amazing. He was talking about his mom, and he said that people would come to her with problems, with the complaints, the world is such a mess right now. You know, there's just so much trouble in the world. You know, there's so much hatred and bad speech and blah, blah, blah. And she would tell them, you must look at the world and see how much goodness is there. There is so, so, so much more goodness than there is evil. Everywhere people are being kind to each other. All day long, people are smiling at each other, holding doors open for each other, Little kindnesses, big kindnesses. 
The sky is kind. The sun is kind. The rain is kind. Water is kind. There are no hindrances with trees. And we're part of that good, unobstructed nature. So I thought it would be nice if... um, I hope this is okay to break into twos. And um, maybe for five minutes or so, just try to access in yourself... your sense of conscience, but in this positive way, this, this sense of your inner goodness, your, 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 you know, what you honor in yourself, what's really, what's good for you. And then describe to the other person, just, just talk about it. Talk about your conscience, how it's good for you, how it's helpful to you. think you mentioned that you don't know what this conscience is. Hopefully you're getting a better sense of it as we go through the day. So that's what this is, kind of an exploration of what this is and how it's good for me. So you're talking about Hiri, and the other person can be right there, empathetic, clear in mind, relaxed in body, allowing you to unfurl whatever is in you. Is that clear? Any questions? And so we'll go for about five minutes and then I'll ring the bell and you can switch places. Okay? Please. If there's an uneven number, just do a group of three. Come forward if you don't have... You too? Is anyone missing a partner? Just make a group of three, it's fine. So I just wanted to say a little about um, the class mechanism. Are you all getting the weekly mailings? Some people are. Well, maybe something went wrong with the second. Uh, Nobody seems to have gotten it. It was about the precepts. So I wanted to say that I'm posting them all on the class's Audio Dharma page. The readings are there too. 
So I'm trying to send out something every Saturday, and if you don't get it for some reason, look on the... Did you get that introductory sheet that has the link for our recordings on it? Okay, on there are also posted all the mailings that I send out, so you can get to things. Okay? Yes? If you weren't here the, the first time and didn't sign up, can we still sign up? Yes, you can, still, the form is still live on the, web, on the IMS, IMC website. You might have to look a little, you know, it's under year-long programs, it's in there somewhere, and somewhere in there is a link to, the, to, a, to a sign up. Okay, so the way we're doing this is that we're sending out readings ahead of time so that you've had a chance to think about the topic before you come. So next topic is another one of these words that the translation and our culture kind of collide often. The next word is, the next uh, parami is usually called renunciation, which has lots of, you know, pushing away everything we like, giving up everything we like, connotations. But it's also letting go. You know, and letting go is a fundamental release, release, you know, lightening the load of what we're carrying and what we're clinging. Non-clinging is a, is a basic uh, understanding of what's the way to freedom. You know, so, so try to hold this, an open mind toward what this means and don't use it as we were just talking about to be hard on yourself and I should never have another ice cream or something. We're really talking about addiction, addictive, the human quality, you know, the suffering that's in addiction and in looking toward having and becoming and getting and sense pleasure and everything, all this, some of the things that Morgan was just talking about. We're looking at how that is not the true way to happiness, you know. So giving up the, the belief that one more ice cream is going to do it you know, go ahead and have it if you want, but it's not going to, you know, you already had one, right? So what, what good is one more going to do? So it's really looking at the, the strategy of, I'm gonna, of stringing together pleasant events as a way to get through life, as the only way to get through life versus, you know, deeper understanding through our practice. So, so there'll be uh, four mailings on this, and then we'll talk about it next time. So uh, you're also all invited, if you happen to bring a lunch, to stay and we'll hang around and have some lunch. And if not, that's fine. And we'll see you next month. Thank you. So we should, uh, I want to end with dedicating the merit of today. So we'll just take a moment here. All the beneficial energy that we've generated this morning as we've opened our hearts and looked at our relationship to this topic of how we are in the world and where we're coming from and non-harming. May all this beneficial energy settle into our hearts and may we take it with us and radiate it out to everything that we encounter May it be shared through warm hand to warm hand to everyone we meet and everywhere it goes and through whatever back channels there may be. May all this merit serve for the welfare and the happiness and the freedom of all beings everywhere.